This episode of The Challengers is brought to you by the Amazon original series, Tell Me Your Secrets. What if your daughter went missing and you knew who took her? In this psychological thriller, I play Mary, a mother obsessed with finding her missing daughter. Mary discovers that her daughter was last seen alive with a serial killer, and that killer's girlfriend, Emma, is now in witness protection. Mary is determined to hunt Emma down and get answers. From the executive producer of The Undoing and Big Little Lies, watch Tell Me Your Secrets, available now on Amazon Prime Video. Hello and welcome to The Challengers. I'm Amy Brenneman. Today on the podcast, I'll be talking to author, artist, and musician Juliana Zobrist. Juliana joined me to talk about an event that took place when she was 12 that shook her understanding of faith and religion. Juliana is going to tell the story in her own words. So without further ado, let's get started. Now you come, you, you're a lot of your stories about growing up in the evangelical church, um, yes. correct? And, and you, that's where you were born and bred and, and got all your early teaching sounds like. Yeah. And it was, it, there were so many beautiful things about it. I'm, I'm very grateful for, um, the protection that some of it brought me, you know, um, I was homeschooled as well. I had a wonderful education. My mother is a phenomenal teacher, and that's been passed down to my other siblings as well. They, My other sisters teach their children at home as well. And there's something really beautiful and simplistic about about that way of life. And I, I just want to first and foremost say that in, in no way is this like a, a rejection of that faith. You know, I think that every every person has their own journey and their own faith story to tell. But this is mine. You know, and and so I'm I'm being brave to share it honestly because I I actually have never um, spoken about what happened to me as a child before on any kind of media outlet. But um, you know, I was one of six and very involved in the church. You know, was in it every time the doors were open and was worship leader because I sing and so I was you know in the band and all of those things and and just. I had this very profound love of God and this um, very just sort of intrinsic awareness of his presence in my life. And, and predominantly because of nature, I would just, with eight people in the house, I would escape outside into the woods and, and like sit in a tree <laughs> and I'd write and I would read and I would just wait for the bell to ring to come in for dinner. <laughs> and if my mom couldn't find me, she knew exactly where I would be and we laugh about it to this day that I would be hiding in a tree somewhere in the backyard oh, beautiful. trying to find my find my solace and, and find my peace but um, that very simple faith was really disrupted when I was 12 um, I went to a church camp and ironically I, I forgot my bible back in my cabin before our evening session. And so um, after dinner, I was like, I got to go grab my Bible. And so I was 12 and waking, making my way down to my cabin and got um, 
pulled into the woods by six men. Mm. And they proceeded to molest me and, um, and, and it was, you know, for a girl who doesn't even know what sex is, mm. it, like there, there was just not no concept of what was happening. It was um, terrifying, and I just in a moment I cried out to God, "Oh God!" And mm. there's there's a lot that happened between that that I don't really remember, except that I found myself. I had locked myself in a bathroom. I I have this visual of my twelve year old self all ratted and torn up sitting on a concrete floor with the door bolted and I had a man's shirt in my hand. Call it this, you know, miraculous power or whatever it was, but um, I got out, you know, and um, and really I knew in that moment that God didn't abandon me. I never felt abandoned by God. I felt like he had given me the power to walk away, like the power to escape, you know. Mm. I'll never forget the the youth pastor at the time coming in and finding me. And, you know, as a child and you're and you're so confused and you're so hurt and you're feeling so unsure and scared, I'll never forget the words that he asked me. He said, um, after a little bit of time, he said, Do you want to press charges or do you want to forgive? And for a 12-year-old girl raised in the church, completely protected, no concept of even what sex is, and then all of a sudden the confusion of, do you want to press charges, which what the hell does that mean? I don't know. Mm. Or do you want to forgive? I don't think, I know that he, he didn't intend this, but it was as if God, the God that I loved, the God that I felt like had saved me, had just become a weapon. And everything I loved about him and his nature and his goodness to me was weaponized. And now it was a choice to forgive or to recognize what had just been done to me. Mm. So I, um, you know, I've obviously been through a lot of therapy and in, in no way do I, I want to trivialize or, or minimize the effect that that's had on my life but but now where i find me myself in my in my own just life journey is wanting to bring awareness to those moments where it feels so confusing because god god is weaponized you know i think about i think about um like jesus being an advocate you know jesus being brought this woman that was caught in adultery and they stripped her naked and they they wanted to stone her and he says he draws a line and he holds her, you know, he brings her to him and he draws a line and he said, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. You know, he was an, he was an advocate. He was a protector, but now God is being used as a weapon to humiliate people, to shame people, to protect the powerful and really to oppress the weak. And I, I look back on that time as a 12 year old and I think, man, it was almost like these Christian concepts of forgiveness had become a loophole for avoidance and the preservation of the reputation of the church or the preservation of the reputation of this man or 
I mean, fill in the blank. I don't know, you know, what it was. But, um, you know, I, I see that so heavily in the church now where there's still public disavowment. I've, I've seen it. I've seen women be brought up on stage. I've seen men be brought up on stage and told that they need to confess their sins. And, and what's meant and what they're calling for as a means of repentance is just shame and humiliation and does nothing but bring the same damage as, you know, this weaponizing of biblical truths that happened to me as a child. Amazing. Um, thank you. And I mean, the first thing I want to mirror as a, as a gal and as, is, I'm sorry that happened. I mean, my heart, it just hurts on a million levels. And, you know, I don't have that story, but I have stories, you know, and, and, um, you know, I also would, would lay in the word patriarchy, right? Into, you know, I didn't grow up in the evangelical system, but it's, it's, I love that word and I use it as well uh, when something is weaponized. I, I want to go back. I would so, it was so um, poignant to me. And I, I grew up in a church. I didn't grow up in an evangelical church. I grew up in a congregational church in New England, which is I mean, honestly, one click above Quakers. <laughs> like it's very, yeah. <laughs> um, it's transcendental. It's very. It did not. My church experience did not hurt me, and um, it it was very open ended. And um, actually, I was a religion major in college, and through that journey, ended up writing my thesis on um, on a Tibetan Buddhist text. So it's. But anyway, what I wanted to say is, what I what I so beautifully articulated is. And I shared this as well, and I still share it, you know, a very simple relationship to higher power, right? And so in the in the direct moment after, you didn't feel abandoned. You felt like, wow, thank you for giving me feet, right, to get out of there. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the abandonment and the, the heart sink moment was when the human beings came in and said, and and you and you astutely realized, oh, they're using this beautiful language in a way that's really destructive. Like yeah. that that's that's when it got hard. Not in the not not the event itself, which I'm sure mm-hmm. has it had but but I but it's so beautiful to me and interesting that you're like, oh no, I actually felt still connected to God, even though this terrible trauma had just happened. But it's how that event was contextualized and received in the bigger community. It's like, oh shit. (laughs) This is big, you know. It's so it's so well observed. Where was where were the where were the perpetrators in that moment of like, do you want to press charges moment? And where were your folks? Like I just want to visualize um, you know, where where was everybody? Well, when I escaped and and was was found, I didn't tell immediately what had happened. It was mm. like, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, <laughs> it's yeah, probably yeah. just in a total state of shock. And so it wasn't until I got home that, um, that I tried to, tried to voice what had happened kind of in my way. And, but, you know, for me and what I, um, what I know now when I look at my own children is that that there is a time to just act. There is mm. there is a time where you see that something is not right 
and you have the courage to stand up and fight for somebody who's unwilling, who's unable to fight for themselves. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, it was like I learned about sex and rape at the same time. And so that's not the time to ask a child, are you okay? It's not the time yeah. to ask about, to even mention forgiveness. It's the time for justice. It's the time for advocacy. It's the time for the line in the sand saying, you know, this is, this is my girl and yeah. she will be protected, you know? Were you able to tell your 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 parents, you know, this is what happened? And even if it was after the fact, did they say, that is wrong and we're going to go back and we're going to talk to those guys? Like, was there any actions taken on your behalf or was it, um, did it just sort of there like, let's no just, you, there were no actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, so no of course, so that communicated like, that's essentially okay. That happens. Stuff like that happens. Right. Yeah. And then, and then what, and then, and then what happened? Now I'm really interested. <laughs> Were you able to go back and be a, a worship leader and get up on stage? Was there like a sinking feeling? Like how did it all? Um, so, okay. So let's, so the theme of the podcast. <laughs> so you, <laughs> bless your heart. We're in a club. Oh, I just get so, I mean, I'm a mama, you know, my daughter, I just, oh, so much feeling, but you're in a club that you didn't want to be in. And you shouldn't have been in, and it was no not your business. I mean, it was not not your doing. Then what? So you go back to home after camp, and and how did it all metabolize for you? You know, for me, like in hindsight, as I've processed and gone to therapy, and um, I, I realized that so much of my life I navigated to be good. After that, yeah. I want to be good. Yeah. What is good in that? In your con, in the con, wouldn't you say good at? I know that word probably has changed meanings, but at that point, what did it mean? Like chastity? I mean, what? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It was, it was, you know, no sex before marriage. And I, I did that. And, you know, it was, it was being, yes, chastity and, and just all around goodness, showing up for church and, and worshiping. And, and to be really honest with you, like I said, my faith has always been so, personal to me and so intimate to me that the only rub for me and the only conflict ever manifested itself as it concerned men and their Mm. use of the Bible in my life, Mm. you know, their, their use of, um, or women for that matter, um, biblical shaming or using, using God or his words or the Bible as, as a way to manipulate or to confine and I will say, though, that I think in that moment, the other piece of me that was born that I'm so grateful for is this advocate piece, mm-hmm. this, this, this part of myself that is a fear, this part of myself that is like, well, if, I, if I'm not going to be protected, well, then I will protect myself and I will protect other people. Mm. And so I've seen that in my life, I've even seen it manifest itself in a creative way. Like I will be who I am. No one is allowed to tell me who I can and cannot be. You know, we are all given, um, declaration of independence. All men are created equal life and liberty, pursuit of happiness. So I've, I've always had this this very fierce, uh, determination to allow myself to evolve, to be the, the most whole, and the most truthful version of who I am. 
And I don't know that I would have been like that had I had I not had this moment in my life where I felt like that is my my decision is my wholeness. I decide that. Um, I'm o- I'm the only one in charge of that. I am in charge of what I do with my challenges. I am in charge of what I do with my pain. I am not in charge of other people, but um, but I can hopefully inspire them to to be exactly and purely and um, the version of them that they're meant to be as well. Stick around. We'll be right back. This episode of The Challengers is brought to you by the Amazon original series, Tell Me Your Secrets. What if you thought you killed someone, but you couldn't remember? In this psychological thriller, Emma, the girlfriend of a serial killer, is trying to figure out what role she played in the disappearance of a missing girl, Teresa. Teresa's mother, Mary, which is the character I play, is obsessed with tracking Emma down and finding answers. Mary even hires a serial predator to hunt for Emma, because what wouldn't a mother do to find her daughter? Am I right? This show is full of twists and turns, and you're constantly questioning whether a character is the victim or the villain. You don't want to miss this highly addictive thriller. From the executive producer of The Undoing and Big Little Lies, watch the Amazon original series, Tell Me Your Secrets, available now on Amazon Prime Video. Coming up on today's episode, Juliana and I talk about her current relationship to God and her relationship with her family over the past 20 years. Let's listen to the rest of my conversation with Juliana. It sounds like you saw, oh, this system is bullshit. It doesn't sound like you were crushed. You know, you're like, okay, hold up, right. you know, which it, which right. says to me that you had a sense of self at 12 um, rather than like, you know, I mean, as you know, from therapy and stuff, there's, there's other ways that people can go. And maybe you did, you know, it would be normal if you did for a little bit, but like the, where the psyche completely collapses for a while, it takes a while to rebuild. If it sounds like, it sounds like you were in there already going, wait a minute, hold up. You know, that was wrong. And even if nobody else is going to say it, I'm, I know it. I know that that was wrong. Yes. Yes, definitely. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was, it was like the, it was like the institution itself had collapsed on me. Right. You know? And, and so I always have seen God as outside of an institution. I've never, I've never thought that there was any challenge that could out challenge God or any question that could out question him or any doubt that could out doubt him or I've always seen him in in this this very like interwoven way into all of life and you know that for me I, I think what I believe and have always believed so fundamentally is in the fact that we're all created in the image of God like imago day if we are all created in his image and we're all his children, then there's total and utter equality between us. And that includes not just gender, sexual orientation, race, you know, all of those things, but it also includes spiritual equality before him. 
that we all have, like Ralph Waldo Emerson said, that we all have total equality and unveiled access to God. That the doors of the church belong open at all times. The, the doors to God belong open, um, should be open at all times. And, and that concept, that idea of, of communion with God, oneness with God, not that we ourselves are necessarily God. I wouldn't adhere to that belief but that God, it, because of the fact that I am made in his image, then I intrinsically hold like a fraction of him. I'm imprinted by my creator. And so I hold a piece of him that might look different than what you hold or that your son holds or that my children hold. I think it's such a profound philosophy to really live your life out of because it it creates this just leveling ground between us, that there is complete and utter equality in every single way, including spiritual equality between us. And that, quite frankly, that got Ralph Waldo Emerson, it got him kicked out. So Emerson got kicked out. Did you, like, was it heresy? Is that the right word? I mean, when you started or exploring or therapy or these, you know, not so much with the, the, church institution, but even within your family, like your dad, I know was a pastor. So when you said like, Hey, it seems like, and I love how you're describing, it's like your discernment of like, wait a minute, God is not the institution, right? There is this animating energy that I've always had in my heart and nothing could take it away. And it's just, I just right. relate so much to how you're describing it. It's the institution that doesn't seem reflective of the love that Jesus talked about of how, you know, when you would say that to your dad, who was part of the institution, would it push back? Was it like bad girl or was it like, okay, you know, I mean, was it a big deal for you to come to some of these awarenesses? Well, it, this is all new for me. You know, these. So, so getting, so getting back. So your life, like when you were a little 12 and then let's say to whenever you left home, 12 to 20. Mm-hmm. You had your private awakenings, but you still were doing the, you know, worship leader singing. Like, did you yeah, voice? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, okay. I was a Christian so, pop artist. And <laughs> you were a Christian pop artist. So you, you sublim- yeah. not sublimated, but you were, these were private musings of you. But in terms of they public, were private, you were. Yes, private. And they were, they were being worked through. You know, they were, it wasn't like this switch went off and I had this even the verbiage right. of institutionalism. You know, I didn't I didn't think that way necessarily. All I knew was just the privacy of my own internal belief. And then as I grew and and especially as I began researching and reading for my um for the book that I published, mm-hmm. like that was the moment for me where the true sifting began. That was the mm. moment for me where I was like, oh shit, I'm about to put my name on on so many ideas and thoughts that have been taught to me that are not necessarily wrong or bad, but now I have to I have to be sure that exactly what I am saying is is reflective of my faith, is reflective mm. of my heart. And that was that was three years ago before I was able before that true sifting and that true shedding began really right. started happening. And so to answer your question about my father it's, you know, that's a journey in a relationship too, because his convictions, some of his convictions are not my own. Mm -hmm. And there's this really beautiful, he's a very gracious person. I can see him expanding his love for me, expanding to reach 
his love for me out where yeah. I'm at, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And I truly believe, and I'm so thankful to get to witness that because it really does display how we can have unity with one another as a family and in love um, without requiring this uniformity of thought mm. and without requiring a uniformity of belief necessarily. And, and that's the true beauty to me of, of the philosophy of Imago Day of all of us being created in the image of God. Amazing. And I also feel like that it, it's so funny, isn't it? It's like, I've been, um, for different reasons, like thinking a lot about love, you know, and how, um, as it, you know, my, my dad had this, my dad, especially, I mean, always, but especially in his sobriety and especially toward the end of his life, he, love was a very active, rigorous practice. You know, it wasn't a feeling, it was also a feeling, but it was also like a commitment. And, you know, as you just described, you know, again, I feel like, wow, your family and your parents, um, that love, that foundational love must be really true blue because otherwise you wouldn't be you, you know? And even what you just said, like, wow, when we love someone who is going in a different direction, you know, there's, I mean, this is the ancient thing. It's like, I'm going to cut you off because, you know, or it's like, ooh, I have to change, right? It's hard to change and it's scary to change. And we like tradition and, you know, who wants to think too hard or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when there's somebody we love or something happens, I think that's why I'm so interested in this subjects that come up in this podcast, we are asked to and invited to change the confidence of that love. It's like, I can consider a new idea or love somebody different right. or, you know, it just, it goes on and on the, the effects of what you're describing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that is the true mark of love is that love is expansive. You know, you see it even in nature, you know, the way that the seeds reach out to be planted elsewhere. Like we, we live, the universe is like orchestrated in such a way that we, we live with this expansive nature, with this reaching out, with this not necessarily fearless, because I think fear is always there, but this willingness to step forward and not back. And so seeing love is seeing somebody always stepping forward. And my dad has been able to do that. And now, I would say as it concerns like the church, the American evangelical church, I think that a lot of them are on the wrong side of history here <laughs> mm -hmm. because while they may say all are welcome, you know, to, to the women and those with different sexual orientations in their own and to the you know, different races in our own, while we may, churches may say all are welcome or, um, you know, love God, love people. If they're still, structuring themselves in such a way that it marginalizes or oppresses another person. Like if a qualified person is still not allowed a position in the church on the basis of their gender, gender or sexual orientation or race, then that's not equality. You know, then that's not love. Why, why do you think, um, cause I think about this all the time. Do you think an institution just can't fully, like institutions, 
they they continue because of a certain sameness maybe and they have to have a certain brand so people know what they're donating money to. I mean, I know this is crass, but like why are they so rigid um, and they so often are? Yeah, I, you know, I think that there's, in my own life, what I've seen is that there is so much comfort in certainty. When you can be certain of something, well, mm. then everything else can fall by the wayside. Then I don't, I don't have to swallow my ego and silence myself and seek to understand rather than to be right because I just know that I'm right. Mm. You know, and for me, when I look at the institution of the church, and I don't know exactly what I think about it right now, to be very, very honest with you, but but my question right now is. Is like, where has our curiosity gone? Why are we mm. so concerned with being righteous and being right? And we don't have the courage to just seek to understand. You know, mm. when we are so certain of something, it doesn't give space for questions. It doesn't give space for the doubter. It doesn't give space for the misfit and the person that doesn't align perfectly with our own beliefs. And, and on a, on a, historical level, I think what we can look at is that this certainty that breeds righteousness and then righteousness that develops this sort of spiritual hierarchy of, of, of morality, you know, breeds judgmentalism, breeds a separation or division of people, breeds oppression. And oppression thrives where there's no empathy. There's no desire to understand. And the next thing you know, there's no empathy and there's hate. And hate historically is is where we get war. And so I know it's not as easy as a of like a a domino effect as that, but I see it in our history and I see it in, even in my own life when when I was very very certain only because it was the only thing I knew, but I was very certain of the institution of the church, you know. Even even having been wounded by it, I was still certain. But what that didn't allow me to do, my certainty didn't allow me to understand, to seek to understand, because I was just too concerned with being right and righteous. So, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much from you. But, but then also, you know, we haven't even added the layer of um, how we appear to others, you know, which I, in any mm-hmm. system, there's that part of it. And before you know it, it's sort of like status and um, you know what I mean? It's just, that's just the nature of, of clubs basically <laughs> the right. church can be that way. Right. You know, I, I read this great thing. Um, I think it was somebody put on Facebook, but it was, um, about how now in 2020 scientists are the ones that allow for wonder and unknown, right? I mean, it's those yeah. quantum physicists, they're, they're like, oh yeah, we don't really know. And there's this play and wonder and discovery. And it's the religious people that have like nailed down the facts. It's just the opposite. But I thought that's really true. I think there's a reason we're all drawn to, you know, the Dalai Lama is drawn to these quantum physics. It's like, because that's where I, I, I love that. And, and, you know, when I, when I say, I don't know, I feel like that's where God lives, you know, or when I change an opinion, you know, I, again, I'm so moved by that idea, especially now in American politics, where, you know, without being careful, we so identify ourselves with our opinions that we we stop thinking in exactly the way you're describing, in like in a, 
in an Orthodox faith community, same thing. It's like, I don't need to think. I know my tribe. It's like, hold up, you know? And and I love that within myself. And I'm like, oh, I, I thought I thought that. But then you read something, it's like, oh. Like, remember in American politics, I don't know, a couple cycles ago, it's like there was a, I don't even remember who, but it, but there was a politician who had changed his mind about something and made no bones about it. He's like, oh, yes, I thought that. And then I got some new information. And now I think this. And and his detractors were like, he's flip-flopping. He's weak. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's, if no. we start to vilify the gathering information and the assessing and maybe changing your opinion, like we're totally lost, you know? Right. That's, that right. God has what given us a brain. And, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yep, I changed my opinion. Yes, I did. That's exactly right. It's like the earth is still flat, you guys. That's what I happens. know. When we don't leave room for mystery is that we, we end up with a, a flat world where we, you know, bleed ourselves out to try and get rid of disease. Like, we I know, crazy. I know. And meanwhile, like the universe is so complex and beautiful. And I love, I mean, I think that must have been a, an early, um, well, as you said so beautifully, like that was a connection to God that was totally your own and not at all to do with walls and buildings and institutions, you know, that connect, I mean, that again, you, you're a, you're a Thoreau girl. I mean, that nature connection is so profound and personal that that must have been a root for you as well. Absolutely. And I, I see it everywhere. And it's something I try and instill in my children. Like we were we were walking the other day and through a park and there was a, an old barbed wire fence that had been there previously. And my four-year-old pointed it out and she said, look, mom, it's like, was the tree born that way? Because the, the bark had grown over where the barbed wire had rubbed up against it. So it had mm. been rubbing against the tree for so long that the tree just basically absorbed it into itself. Mm. So you have this big, beautiful tree with little pieces of barbed wire sticking out on either side. And um, so she asked me, was it born that way? And I said, I said, no, baby, it wasn't. But it, how amazing that, that God made these trees to show even what can happen in us. That when mm. life rubs us a certain way or when we're living with in, in pain or we're suffering in some way that that like we are resilient and strong enough to be able to absorb what it is. What a beautiful display of, of just what your podcast is about. You know, that challenges aren't meant to be avoided or or skipped over, but we actually we skip over the magic of redemption and the mystery of God when we choose to ignore the barbed wire in our own life. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Challengers. You can find Juliana on Instagram at Juliana Zobrist and on Twitter at not Mrs. Zobrist. That's Mrs. You can also learn more about her and her work by visiting julianazobrist.com. You can also follow this show on Instagram and Twitter at Challengers Pod and like my page on Facebook by searching for me, Amy Brennan. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to tell your friends about the show. We'll see you next time.